Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind, take your copy and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of Genesis. The Old Testament passage of Genesis. Genesis and chapter number 15. Genesis and chapter number 15. We are in our series of the Millennial Kingdom and we've already hit some of the things that happened right before the Millennial Kingdom leading up to the actual thousand year reign of Christ. That we stated that the next thing on God's calendar is what is called the rapture. That there are no more signs, no more wonders, no more prophecies, no more stars to be aligned, no more wars, no more rumors of war. Nothing that has to be fulfilled in order for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back in the clouds and to call away all of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior and that is our blessed hope we're looking forward to Jesus Christ coming back and doing what he said he was going to do after that comes the seven years of tribulation the time of Jacob's trouble and we took time to explain from the Bible that the main purpose of the tribulation is for God to bring back the Hebrew people back to himself and to use the Hebrew people to reach the world which brings us to the end of the tribulation that we covered the idea that God is going to separate those that are saved from those that are not saved that the tribulation is going to begin with no saved people whereas the millennial kingdom is going to start with no lost people now in order to truly understand what the purpose of the millennial kingdom is for example why do we have a millennial kingdom in the first place did God just kind of pick his finger in the air and say, you know what, I just want to do something. I know, let's just put a thousand years. Why do we have a thousand years? Why is it that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth? Why even have a millennial kingdom in the first place? Well, in order to understand the why, why do we have the millennial kingdom? We have to study an Old Testament subject called the covenants. That God made several covenants or agreements, promises, dealing with the Hebrew people. And that the millennial kingdom is going to be the fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. So for us to have a good understanding framework of how the millennial kingdom works, why do we have the millennial kingdom? We first must study the promises that God made to the Jewish people. And so we're going to study the first one of these covenants tonight as we take our copy of the word of God and look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis in chapter number 15. The book of Genesis chapter 15 and notice with me in verse number 1. Genesis 15 and verse 1. After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. 
And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no child. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall, thou, shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. And tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he came to him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me, uh, take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took him all of these, and divided them in the mist, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve Will I judge? And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come up hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark. Behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made it covenant with Abram, saying unto, <laughs> saying, unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and the Kenites, and the Kizzites, and the Camanites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Raphraims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Genesis chapter 15? The book of Genesis chapter 15, and notice with me in verse number 18. Genesis 15 and verse 18, and notice with me the phrase, made a covenant with Abram. The Lord made a covenant with Abram. And with the Lord's help, we're going to study what is commonly called the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would just help us in a very deep subject, a very meaty subject, that you would help us to discern it, that you would help us to understand it, that you would help us to be able to apply it, to see how it goes, how it relates to the upcoming millennial kingdom. That you would help us to understand what has been said, understand how it's going to be applied, help us to understand how it's going to be fulfilled. Once again, I need you. 
I need your spirit to lead me, to guide me. Fill me with your spirit. That you would be with my lips, that you would be with my tongue, you would be with my thoughts. And that you could guide us by your precious spirit to help us to have an understanding of this important subject here. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Abrahamic covenant. Now the Abrahamic covenant is a main covenant that God made to the Hebrew people. Specifically, he made it to Abram and it extended to all of his seed, which became the Hebrew people. Today they are known as Jewish people, but to all of the Hebrew people. Now Abraham is a very important character. He's a very important person in history, one of the most important people of history. And God took time to talk to Abraham face to face, to talk him person to person. In fact, there are three times in scripture that God called Abraham his friend. Could you imagine having that on your epitaph, on your on your um, tombstone that it would say your name and how long you lived and the phrase that they said that described your life? He was the friend of God. What a great relationship that Abraham had with God to be called the friend of God. And because God chose Abraham in a special way and he promised him a seed that he came with a special covenant, which we'll study in a second. And out of that covenant came three other covenants to the Hebrew people that we find in the Bible. That we have the Abrahamic covenant. Then we have the Palestinian covenant. Now, a lot of the Jewish people don't like that name, the Palestinian covenant, but it deals with the land of Palestine and the surrounding land that God promised them a land forever. Then we have the Davidic covenant. This is a promise that was extended to one of Abraham's ancestors or descendants, which would be King David, where God promised David that he would have from his seed someone to rule the Hebrew people forever. Then we have the new covenant. The new covenant is God's promise that he would not forget the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, but that he would bring them to himself and bring them salvation. We're going to talk each of those covenants in their own separate uh, messages in the upcoming uh, series. But the covenant we want to hit tonight is the Abrahamic covenant, which is the seedbed to the rest of the covenants, the rest of the promises that God made to the Hebrew people. The Abrahamic covenant promised them a people forever. The Palestinian uh, covenant promised them the land forever. The Davidic covenant promised them a king forever. And the new covenant promised them salvation forever. And that this is a promise that God made The Abrahamic covenant, which extends to the rest of these. Now, the characteristics of these covenants is that they are literal. They are eternal. They are unconditional. And they are specific. Now, let me kind of go back and hit that. That the characteristics of all four of these covenants is that, first of all, they are literal. Meaning that we don't spiritualize These covenants that when God said there's going to be a people forever. What did God mean? There's going to be a people forever. That he's literally talking about a people. He's not talking about spiritual people. Some people try to erase the Abrahamic covenant and say, well, we are God's spiritual children. 
No, he's talking about the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. He promised the Hebrew people these promises. They are also eternal, meaning that God is going to keep them, that they don't have a time stamp, that, oops, you didn't keep your promises, you didn't get the finish line, oh, it's all over. No, these promises are eternal, they're without end. They are unconditional, and we'll cover more of that specifically in just a moment, but they have no conditions. There are no conditions where the Jewish people can forfeit these promises that God made. That the Jewish people can't mess up enough. They there did not forfeit their covenants because they, they crucified Jesus Christ. That God made a promise to them and will fulfill that promise to them. And then another characteristic is that they are specific. God specifically said different things in each of these covenants that must be fulfilled exactly like God said. They are specific. Now this is important because these covenants help us to uh, put a border around the millennial kingdom just like a puzzle piece. That in the millennial kingdom this allows us to have a border to help us to understand the framework of the millennial kingdom. Why do we have the millennial kingdom? What is it there for? What's the purpose of it? The purpose of the millennial kingdom is to fulfill the promises God made to the Hebrew people. Now, most of us are not Hebrew. So why is, do we get to enjoy the millennial kingdom? Because God's love is so great that as he fulfilled the promises to the Hebrew people, that there was enough room for us too. We'll talk about that in an upcoming message. But this is a great joy to us that God's grace is sufficient. That in order to fulfill his promises to the Hebrew people, that he also allowed salvation to hit us and allowed us to enjoy the millennial kingdom. So that way, in, in order to fulfill the promises to the Hebrew people, we get to enjoy it as well. Now, as we talk about the Abrahamic covenant specifically, the Abrahamic covenant is listed in four different passages inside of Genesis. So four different times, God pulls aside Abraham and says, Abraham... I want to tell you some things. I want to give you some promises. The first one is in Genesis chapter 12. And if you don't mind, we'll quickly just look at these promises. Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter 12. And in verses 1, 2, and 3 is the first mention of, of the Abrahamic covenant. God's promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says this. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's the first mentioning of the Abrahamic covenant. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Genesis chapter 13 is the second mentioning of the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 13. And notice with me in verse number 14. Genesis 13 or Genesis 13 verses 14 through 17 is the second listing of this. 
Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17. And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look to the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it. And to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust in the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth. Then shall thy seed also be numbered. And then we come to Genesis 15. Which we just. uh, We're going to go through that in detail. The last mentioning of the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham. Is in Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verses 8 and 9. Genesis 17, verses 8 and 9. Quickly, we'll just look at this, and then we'll turn back to Genesis 15 and walk through this passage. Genesis uh, 17, Genesis 17, verses 8 and 9. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said unto Abram, Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant bef- uh, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in, thy, in their generations. And so four times God specifically pulls Abraham aside and he gives him promises that all encompass the Abrahamic covenant. If you don't mind, turn with me to Genesis 15 and we'll walk through this quickly and then make some applications dealing with the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 15, we have a very strange story. Notice with me in verse number 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. And notice this phrase, Thy exceeding great reward. You want to know what God's reward or Abram's reward was? God. God is should be the answer. God should be what we're seeking. The Bible talks about that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In that phrase, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So what is the reward? God. What are they seeking for? God. God is your reward. He should be the one you're looking for. He should be the one you're trying to please. Going back to verse 2, Genesis 15, 2. And Abram said, Lord God... What will thou give me, seeing that I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? Now, Abram had a problem. He's getting long in the tooth. That Abraham um, is without a child. His wife is pretty old. Um, <laughs> I think going in here, trying to remember exactly where where we're at. But Abraham is about 80 years old, maybe just a little bit lower. Let's just say 70 for number's sake. His wife, Sarah, is 60. And God says, guess what? I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham said, well, is it the guy who was born in my camp, Eliezer? I mean, he, he grew up. He's kind of like a lad. No, no. God says, you, you are going to have a child. How would you like to break the news to your wife? Honey, I know that you're 70 years old. 
But God promised that you're going to have a baby. What good news is that? Huh? Yay. Well, he says, well, the problem is, is that we're old. We don't want to have, I mean, we're, we're old. Things not operating the way that they used to now. And God says, no, you are going to have a child. Notice as he goes on, verse number three. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. So he said, Abraham, not only are you going to have a child, but your descendants are going to be so many that you look up at the stars. Now remember, they didn't have light pollution. They didn't have Lambeau Field lighting up the sky. They had just darkness. Could you imagine to go out on a beautiful night? And see all the stars. And try to count them. See how far you can get. And he goes. You see all those stars. They're hard to count. You're going to have more descendants. Than the stars you can see. That's a lot of stars isn't it. And he says I don't even have a child. And you promised me all these kids. And all these descendants. And he says I'm old. My wife's old. And then notice this in verse 6. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord. And he counted unto him for righteousness. So he said, all right, God, if that's what you say, I believe you. And God says, that's all. That's what salvation is, is just believing what God told you in the first place. I accept what God told me. That Abraham just believed God and his promises, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was evidence that he was saved now. Verse number 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he, Abraham, said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So this is a good question. He's just talking with God. And God says, guess what? All this land that you see, that's yours. And Abraham says, how can I know that I get this land? Now, this is where things kind of differ. We understand that, first of all, the Bible is an Eastern book and we are a Western civilization, meaning that there is a difference in thought, a difference of doing things, that the people even today in the East think differently than we do in the West. So there's a difference in thought. In addition, this is over 3,000 years ago. You think things may have changed 3,000 years? Maybe just a little bit. Now, today, if you want to make an agreement, for example, you're going to go buy a house, you're going to sign paper after paper after paper, and you're going to have it in triplicate, and you're going to have a copy, and you've got to deliver it to this person. All right, that's how we do things today. I wish we still had the old days of shaking hands, and that was an agreement. But back then, they had a different way of signing the papers. They had a different way of shaking hands. They had a different way of showing an agreement between two parties. They went through a special ritual. So if you don't mind, let's see what God says to for Abraham to do. Notice in verse number 9. So in verse 8, he answers the question, asks the question, how do I know I'm going to inherit it? 
God says, let's get the forms out in triplicate. This is their version of doing it. Verse 9. And he, God, said to him, Abram, take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a pigeon. All right, so he took all these animals. Get all these animals, all right? What are we going to do with them? We're going to put a petting zoo. Are we going to ride the What are we going to do with these animals? Verse number 10. And he took unto him all of these and divided them in the mist. So basically he killed them. He sacrificed them. Then he divided up all the parts of the animal and laid each piece one against another. But the birds he divided not. So what happened in the Old Testament, in the ancient world at this time, that if you're going to make an agreement with two parties, that what you would do is you would have the two parties go through a ritual. And what you would do is that you would take the animals and that you would kill them, and you would lay them in a line pretty much on two sides. So this side had some parts of the animal, this side had a parts of the animal, and they would be lined up in a ritual way. Now, the way that things would work in that agreement is that both parties would pass through the sacrifice as a ritualistic saying that we're in agreement, we agree to this thing. Now, quite different than what we do it today. Aren't you glad that when you went to go get your car and you go to how to sign your car note that you didn't have to kill animals and line them up beside and say, all right, this is how we're going to keep our agreement. We're going to walk between these two in the midst of them just to show that our agreement's together. We do things a little bit differently today. But that's how they did it 3,000 years ago in an Eastern culture. Notice as it goes on. In verse number 11, and when the fowls came upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. I could see Abraham. He's trying to lay down those pieces. He's laying down the pieces of the cow and the pieces of the heifer and laying them all down. And the birds come and get away. Come on, get away. You don't want the birds to mess up this, you know, so he's chasing them away. Keep them going. And notice this in verse 11. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down... A deep sleep fell upon Abram, Abraham, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now remember what I just said, that in the Old Testament, or in the ancient world, for two people to make an agreement together, they had to both walk through the, the ritual, to walk through the animals, to walk through all of this. However, Abraham is put to sleep by God. God puts him to sleep, and if you're asleep, you can't walk through the bodies. You can't walk through the ritual. This is important. This is vitally important. Notice as it goes on. (laughs) And verse 13, And he, that's God, said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and shall afflict them. Of 400 years. And also that nation of whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they shall come up with great substance. This is given a prophecy that Abraham's descendants are going to go to Egypt. And they're going to serve the Egyptians for 400 years. And they're going to be delivered. And not only are they going to be delivered. The Egyptians are going to throw money at them to send them away. And by the way that's exactly what happened when Moses led him out. In verse 15. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So he said, they're going to come out of Egypt, and they're going to come back to this land that I promised you. And notice verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark, 
And behold a smoking furnace. And a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now notice this. Abraham is asleep. He cannot make this agreement. But God in two lights is walking through. What is happening? God is making agreement with himself about Abraham. Because this is about Abraham, Abraham is present. But God did not make an agreement with Abraham. He made an agreement about Abraham. That God made a promise to himself. Now this is important. Because if that is true, then no matter what Abraham and his seed does, they could do nothing to make this covenant void because the covenant wasn't with him. It was about him that God made a promise to God that he was going to take care of this. And this was all set up, but Abraham didn't walk through. Abraham didn't agree. Abraham was there because it was about him. Now, this is going to play an important part to us in just a bit. But God made a promise to himself about Abraham. So this promise is eternal and without void because there is nothing that the Hebrew people can do to make God cancel this because they weren't part of the agreement. It was just about them, not with them. Notice as we go on. And verse number 18. In this same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed I have given thy land, and from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And so he wakes Abraham up and says, Guess what? The ceremony is done. The agreement is made. I'm glad that you are here. Now here is your proof. Remember, what was all this for? Abraham asked a question. How do I know That I'm going to inherit this land. How do I know that this is going to my ancestors? God sets up an agreement. He basically gets a form. In our idea. Signs it in triplicate. And says the the guarantor of this loan is God. And the person paying this loan is God. And the guy providing it is God. But this is about Abraham. But God is the guy who is doing all the agreeing. Abraham is just there. Now this is important stuff. Now, I understand that when you're reading your Bible, you may not get all this, but we're trying to understand. You have to understand some of the ancient customs and know what's going on here. This is the fulfillment of a promise that God made to himself concerning Abraham. Now, all that's introduction. Let's dive into the message now. As we explain this and what is going on, we see that, first of all, there are three types of promises in the Abrahamic covenant. There are three types of promises In the Abrahamic covenant. And to see these promises. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. The book of Genesis chapter 12. Which is the first giving of this um, Abrahamic covenant. uh, Genesis chapter 12. Notice with me in verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram. Get thee out of thy country. And from thy kindred. And from thy father's house. Unto a land That I will show thee. And I will make of thee. A great nation. And I will bless thee. And make thy name great. The first thing that we see here. As the first 
type of promises in here is a personal promise. A personal promise. A personal promise of blessing. Notice what he says here in verse number 2. I will make thee a great nation. And in fact, he was a great nation. You understand that the Jewish people claim that Abraham is their father. But not just the Jewish people. The Arabic people call Abraham their father. There were about 60 million um, Arabs in the Middle East. All of them say Abraham is their father. All of the Hebrew people call them their father. And of course, we as Christians, we call him our spiritual father. But Abraham is the blessing. He is the center of three religions. Think about that. God said, guess what? You're going to be great. Well, that's pretty great if three religions go back and reverence you and say, this is a man. This is an amazing man. This is a man who walked with God. That's pretty good. Notice this, I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great. You know, you could go out throughout the world, and you could find people who hear, heard the name Abraham. Abraham's an important name. And then even today, we're still talking about him. And not just us, the Jewish people are talking about him. Not just us and them, the Muslim people are still talking about Abraham. Abraham is an important figure in all of history. His name is great. Now, when he's out in the middle of the wilderness, just following God, he didn't imagine that his name would be this great. But God said, your name's going to be great. Notice this, and thou shall be a blessing. That he himself personally would be a blessing. And as we read through the rest of his life in Genesis, he was a blessing. And people were blessed because of him. And so the first type of promises in the Abrahamic covenant was a personal promise of blessing. There's also a second promise dealing with the Abrahamic covenant. And this is a national blessing. National Meaning him as a nation. Him as his descendants. Notice with me. <clears throat> he promised it to his seed. I will make thee of a great nation. I will bless thee. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then he goes on and explains the different passages. He explained to his seed. The children of Israel. They nationally will be a blessing. And that he said, remember, they're going to spread out more than the stars in the sky. You understand that even today, that they are scattered all over and there's tons of Hebrew people. There are more Jewish people living in New York City than the entire country of Israel today. There's a lot of Jewish people and they're scattered all over the place. They're spread out and that God promised him that they as a people will inherit an everlasting possession of the land. By the way, in Genesis 15, if you're going to map that out, that's pretty big territory. It goes all the way up from Egypt, all the way up to what we would call Iraq today. It would cover all the way from Turkey down to Egypt. That's their land. That's more than that little sliver that they have today. This is a huge piece of property. That, that one day they will inherit. They as a people. A national blessing. And then there is a universal blessing. 
there's a universal blessing. Meaning to everyone. God says, I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That there's ways that everyone can get blessed. For example, when a people are a blessing to Hebrew people, God said, I'll bless you. By the way, that's one of the reasons why judgment has not yet fallen upon America. is because we bless the Israelites and the Hebrew people today. And God blesses us for it. Even with all of our faults and all of our failings, we still have the blessing of God because we stand with Israel. God made a promise and he keeps with it. That if we're a blessing to Hebrew people, if we go out of our way, God promised to bless us. He promised that. If we curse the Hebrew people, we're going to get cursed. There's a universal blessing. And by the way, it is by through the Hebrew people that Jesus was born. Jesus was a Jew. And from him, everyone can get saved because of the promises God made to Abraham. So we see the three types of promises in the Abrahamic covenant. Which brings us to a natural question. Why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? Specifically, why is it important to me? You're not a Hebrew. I'm not Hebrew. Why is it so important to me? Well, that's a good question. Let's see what the Bible has to say concerning this. If you don't mind, let's look to the New Testament. The book of Romans chapter 4. The book of Romans chapter number 4. This Abrahamic covenant is important to us. First of all, in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. In the book of Romans chapter 4, God is speaking about Abraham. And he's comparing him and giving him promises. And talking about the faith of Abraham. Towards the end of chapter 4... He now wraps it up and applies it to us specifically. Notice with me in the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Notice with me in verse 20. He, this is Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now remember, God said, Abraham, you're going to have a child. I know that you're 70 years old. By the way, you know how old Abraham was when he had a child? A hundred. You know how old his wife was? Ninety. How many 90-year-olds are looking forward to having a baby at that age? Probably not a lot. By the way, just as a little side thing, Sarah was a looker. When she was 70 years old and when she was uh, 80 years old, between Pharaoh and Abimelech, both of them saw Sarah and said, Hubba, hubba. Man, that is amazing. I want her to be my wife. And Abraham said, hey, I know everyone's checking you out. Tell everyone that we're not married. Tell everyone that that we're brother and sister. And... uh, And so both Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Abimelech, one of the kings of the Canaanites, tried to marry Sarah because she was such a good-looking girl at 70 years old and 80 years old. That's pretty amazing, too. But anyways, Sarah's 90 when she finally delivers the baby. And you know what the Bible said? He staggered not at the promise of God. He said, God's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it, but God's going to do it. Verse number 21. Uh, Verse 20 again. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, 
he was also able to perform. That God promised it, God's able to do it. Verse number 22, therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed, but for us also whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? Because it has a bearing on my salvation. It has a bearing on my salvation. <coughs> it has a bearing on my salvation. What does that mean? Well, remember when I talked about the, the agreement that God had made with Abraham? That it was about Abraham, but not with Abraham. That Abraham was put asleep and that God had put him aside. You know what God promised Jesus? He said, Jesus, I make you a promise that anyone who comes and accepts you as their savior by your name, I will forgive. That God made a promise to Jesus about our salvation. And that if we just come to him, God promised Jesus that anyone who came to him, God would accept and forgive them. That same thing applied. And that, that's a promise that God made to himself about us, not to us. That's pretty important because that means that no matter what we do after we get saved, that God's going to say, ah, never mind. No, he made a promise and he has to keep his promise. And he made his promise to himself. It is not conditional that anyone who comes to Jesus, even if we mess up, if we sin, we are still saved because God made a promise to himself about us. Isn't that amazing? And that just like that, that God made a promise to Abraham, the same thing applies that if we just accept Jesus, that God promised to justify it. He imputes it unto us for righteousness. Just by accepting God's promise of salvation. What a wonderful thing. So it has a bearing on my salvation. Notice there's something else. Why is the Abrahamic covenant so important to me? Turn with me to the book of Mark. The gospel record of Mark chapter 12. The gospel record of Mark chapter 12. Now in the gospel record of Mark chapter 12. The Sadducees and the Pharisees have been trying to stump Jesus. And the Sadducees have, have come to Jesus asking him a question. And the important thing is about the Sadducees is that they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in the supernatural. In fact, that is why someone said that is why they're so sad, you see. Because they didn't believe in all these things. And so what happened... Is that they come and ask Jesus a foolish question. That if a guy marries a wife. And uh, the guy dies. And they don't have children. And so according to the law. She marries the brother. And then he dies. And they don't have a children. So he marries another brother. And she goes through seven uh, husbands. When they go to the resurrection. Who is she going to be married to? And Jesus answers their foolish question. Notice with me in verse 24. As he answers that question. <laughs> and Jesus answering said unto him. Do ye not therefore err, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Verse 26. And as touching the dead, that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses, how the bush God spoke unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham. And the God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. 
but of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Now the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in there was life after death. And so Abraham's, or God goes to, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and says, You remember Moses in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3? And he goes up to the burning bush and says, God, who are you? What is your name? And God said, I am the God of Abraham. Now, the English language is a great language. And when we talk about I am, that means it's in the present tense. It's not in the past tense. It's in the present tense. And God is saying, I am currently right now the God of Abraham. Meaning that Abraham's alive somewhere. That there is life after death. I am currently in the present tense the God of Abraham. I know Abraham's body is dead. But he is still alive. There is life after death in the present tense. I am the God of Abraham. You know what that does for us? That helps us with our understanding of life after death. There is life after death. There is a resurrection. This helps us to understand about the resurrection of the dead. Why is the Abrahamic covenant important? Because of the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Why is the Abrahamic covenant important? Because it deals with our salvation. Why is the Abrahamic covenant so important? Because it deals with the resurrection of the dead. That we live again. Verse 27 of Mark 12. He is not the God of the dead. But the God of the living. Ye therefore greatly err. He's rebuking them and saying there is life after death. And that we have the hope of eternal life. And we see that through Abraham. You know what that means? Oh, we'll get into that in a second. This is good stuff. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. One more thing I want to show you in this idea here of why is the Abrahamic covenant so important. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. The Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're turning there, let me kind of already give you this point. It's the framework for future events. It is the framework for future events. The framework for future events. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. And notice with me starting at verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8. By faith Abraham. When he was called to go to a place. Which he should, should after receive for an inheritance. Obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And if you're 90 years old, you'd want God to give you grace to conceive seed. And was delivered of a child when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful who promised. Therefore sprang up there even one. And him as good as dead. So many as the stars in the sky in multitude. And as the sand which is by the sea shore innumerable. These all died in faith. Speaking about Abraham. Speaking about Sarah. They died in faith. 
They died believing God was going to do something, but not having received the promises. That means God made them a promise, but they died before they got to see the fulfillment of that promise. But having them seen afar off, meaning they saw it, that it's going to be fulfilled sometime later, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. That they died without seeing the promises, but God said that they would see that. You know what this means? It's the framework of what's going to happen. God has to fulfill his promise still to Abraham that he would see his children, his descendants as the stars in the sky, as the sand of the sea innumerable. That in the millennial kingdom, he's going to be able to see the Hebrew people scattered, innumerable, many people being born, not too many people being dead, of the people who survived the tribulation and have all those children. And it is Abraham, historical Abraham. He's going to be there at the millennial kingdom watching and observing and seeing the promise that God made him. He is going to finally see the fulfillment of it. That the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of God's promise to the Hebrew people. Isn't that amazing? That we're going to go shake hands with Abraham. We're going to go talk with him. We're going to share stories with him. And he's going to be there so excited. God fulfilled the promise. I didn't know how he was going to do it when I didn't have a child. I didn't know how he was going to do it when I had Isaac here. And God said, sacrifice him. And I said, well, God, you're going to have to raise him up. You're going to have to do something. I didn't know how he was going to do it. But look at this. God was right. I can't count on these people here. I can't in that. Look at what God did. Abraham's going to be excited in the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of God's promises to the Hebrew people. Which now brings me to the last conclusion. What difference does it make? What difference does the Abrahamic covenant make? What does it matter? How do, who cares? Well, first of all, we understand that Abraham's descendants must be eternally preserved as a nation. Meaning that we still have to have Jewish people. And that's why Satan has to is at war with God. He always tries to wipe out the Jewish people. If you ever want to study an interesting subject in history. Look at all the times that Satan has tried to destroy the Jewish people. You could go back to the book of Esther. When they had official kill the Jew day on the calendar and circled. You'll go kill as many Jews as you want. With the purpose of wiping them out. And God delivered them. You could go back to the Black Plague of 1242 where one third to one half of all the population of Europe was killed by the Black Plague except for the Jewish people. And so the people thought it was the Jewish people that were poisoning their wells and they tried to kill as many Jewish people as possible. You go back to the 1940s where you had a man by the name of Adolf Hitler and all of the Nazi regime and the SS who said that we have a problem and that is the Hebrew people and they came up with a final solution to wipe them out. Satan has over and over tried to wipe out the Hebrew people. Why? Because in order for God to have his promises fulfilled, there has to be a Hebrew people to receive them. 
That's just behind the curtains. That understands the spiritual warfare. There must be a Hebrew people in order for God's promise to come through. That Abraham's descendants must be eternally preserved as a nation and must be given the everlasting possession of a geographical location. There's no time in history where the Jewish people have ever obtained all that God promised them. That's in the future. That's going to happen. One day they're going to own all of the Middle East. In fact, Jerusalem is going to be so big, it's going to wipe, be, you could see it from, from outer space. It is going to be so big and how huge it is. This is unconditionally, meaning that there is no conditions. There's nothing the Jewish people can do to default on it. It is unconditional and it has never been fulfilled yet. It must be fulfilled in the future. That means there's still more to come and that God's actions in the future must complete this. This is why we have the millennial kingdom. It is the fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people, specifically in this case, Abraham. The millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of God's promises to one man. Now, how does that apply to us? That if God, for all these thousands of years, is still going to keep his promise to one man, God will keep his promises to you. You can trust him. That if he says it in the Bible, he's not going to forget about you. If you have a promise that you claim, he's going to keep it. He has to keep it. He is God. Remember God's promises. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise. God made a promise that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God made a promise in Romans chapter 8 verse 28. For all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them that are the called according to his purpose. That means everything that happens in your life. God had a purpose and a reason for it. Can you trust him? God promised. He made a promise. And he cannot lie. He will not back down. He will not default on it. He has to keep the promise. You understand? We can trust it. If God said it, I believe it. Because God keeps his word it doesn't matter how many thousands of years have passed god will keep his word the promises that god made to you god will keep his word we have a god we can trust and he promised to keep his word Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know.
we would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.